Hello and welcome along to the Property Canopy Podcast by Obus Partners. I'm your host, Tim Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And tell the show, we're talking about the new rules of property investment. This is based on our webinar, which was just on last night. Now, you are going to get the recording. Oh, we'll probably release it about 2pm today by the time the audio is edited. But, you know, I just couldn't believe how many regulations, how many new rules have been brought into the property market over the last five years. It is amazing how much things have changed for property investors. And so last night's webinar was all about, well, how do you still succeed? How do you still keep investing with these rules in place? How do you work within the rules? So we're going to do a countdown today of the eight major pieces of regulation, which we discussed last night, to go from the least impactful to the ones that will have and have had the largest impact on the property market. I'll do even numbers, Andrew, you do odd. So at number eight, we had debt to income ratios. And I've put that in there for two reasons. The first is that the Reserve Bank has not even made a firm decision about whether they will bring them in or not, even though it is likely that they will come in. But the real reason that I've put it in at number eight position is if you look at the interest rates today that banks are using to test your mortgage and my mortgage to decide whether they approve it or not, actually, you can't really borrow at seven times your income anyway. And so if debt-to-income ratios were bought in today at, say, seven times your income, only a very small percentage of property investors and owner-occupiers are borrowing at those amounts anyway. And so these will only be used at the boom of the market if interest rates come down quite significantly. And so that's why it's at number eight. What's at number seven, Andrew? Number seven is the Brightline Test extension. So remember, we had the Brightline Test previously, but in 2021, that got extended to 10 years for an existing property, five years if it's a new build. And so, of course, the major change was the duration at which you had to own a property before you could sell it without there being a tax implication for your profits. I think the biggest thing here is it probably hasn't affected the market at the moment because the rules only kind of just come in and people that are going to be affected by that longer period of time, they probably haven't bought the properties yet. I think in many ways it's probably had a bit of an unintended consequence because if you're thinking about some government policy, what they really want is investors to sell out of the market so you know first-home buyers can purchase them. But if you introduce a bright line test, which means that that investor is going to have to pay perhaps $100,000 on their capital gains, they're just going to sit on their hands and wait. And I know that there are property investors now that would really like to sell their property because they don't want to be affected by some of the other changes we're going to talk about and perhaps instead purchase an investment property that is looked upon more favorably under some of the new rules we're talking about. But they're not going to do that because they don't want to pay all of that tax to the IRD under the Brightline test. Coming in at number six is the healthy homes standards. Now, I've put them in at number six as perhaps not all of that impactful, mainly because while there have been compliance costs, some investors have had to spend five grand or sometimes even more making their homes healthy homes compliant, even though, by the way, in some areas, the healthy homes guidelines are overspecked. Some property investors have had to rip out perfectly fine heat pumps and put in larger heat pumps simply because they need to meet the rules. In some instances, actually, our property managers have said that some tenants won't even turn on the heat pump because it's so large now they're worried about the electricity bill. So in some instances, you know, just because 
a home doesn't comply with the Healthy Homes Act doesn't mean that it's automatically not a healthy home. Similarly, there are other properties that do comply under the Healthy Homes regulations, but actually they're still not particularly healthy homes. But that's the difficulty when you're trying to implement a uniform standard across the country. But the reason I put it in at number six is most rental properties will be compliant today. And the one-off compliance cost of five or six grand is probably not as impactful as some of the other large and ongoing changes that we've got on the list. Number five, I've got the tenancy regulations. And again, these kind of beefed up in 2021, and particularly with exiting a tenancy. So if you're the owner and you want to get rid of a tenant, you used to be able to do that fairly easily. If you had kind of just someone that you, you, you didn't want to have in your house anymore for whatever reason, now you've got to provide a lot more justification around it. Or most cases, you have to actually have them in there. You don't have that get out of jail free card anymore. So I think probably this has probably got a double effect. I think number one now, if people are coming up and thinking, you know what, I'm not sure how the market's going to go anymore and I don't really want to roll the dice with dodgy tenants, they might be selling properties just to be done with that. And you've got other people who haven't bought that are thinking, yeah, I don't like the idea of not having this flexibility. So you have experienced investors maybe flicking off the odd thing, particularly if it's in a rougher neighbourhood, and then you've got people not buying as well. So I think that has had an effect on the market. You see, the interesting thing there is only 2% of tenancies that ended were due to that 90-day get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, you could end a periodic tenancy, you don't have to give a reason, give them three months' notice, effectively what 90 days is, and move on with your lives. By taking that away, it added more risk in, because then property investors think, well, I know not many people ended their tenancies because of that, but for the 2% of people that did end the tenancies using that clause, it was really important. Because that might be the way that you get rid of a really antisocial or aggressive tenant, somebody who's really causing trouble. Now, you can't end a tenancy just because somebody's giving you a bit of grief. It's got to be you're either selling the property or you're doing extensive renovations, or you can end it for antisocial behavior, but the rules are so cumbersome. You've got to have three documented antisocial run-ins, if I can use that, within a 90-day period. It's actually quite outrageous. Now, the next thing that I'm putting in at number four, so we're getting into the top four now, is ring fencing. So if I take you back to the good old days, the year was 2018, and let's say you earned, call it 100K through your job. Okay, well, that's cool. You'd be paying some tax on that. Let's say that your rental property then made a 10K loss, taxable loss. Most properties might be doing something similar to that these days. Well, what would happen is the IRD would look at you made 100K through your job and you made 10K loss on your rental property. So we're only going to tax you as if you earned $90,000 through your job. So effectively, you would get the tax back on that last 10 grand that you earned through your job. Now, at that amount of income, it's 33%. So you would get $3,300 back. And when you're potentially making some of the loss through depreciation on your chattels, you might be making a loss on your rental property, but not actually making a 10K loss in that instance. So you might actually have 5K that you're topping it up by, but 5K worth of depreciation is what you're saying. And so you were getting some of your tax back and it was really helping with the cash flow back in the day. Now, the trouble is it was very complicated to explain back in the day. And so we had 
wonderful spreadsheets that calculated those things for you. But I think because it impacted the cash flow of property investors, it really had an impact for people who were switched on and perhaps buying that extra third or fourth property. And it probably had an effect on tenants as well, because as you couldn't claim back and you had to subsidise your rents more as a, as a landlord, you probably look to recoup some of that from tenants. Well, the difficulty is I actually disagree with that because most rents are not set based on the property investors' costs. It's based on, well, what are tenants willing to pay? So if you look at what's happened to rents recently, we've had interest rates go from 2.5% up to 6.5%. So all of us property investors, we've had to fork out a lot more money into our rental properties, but we haven't put rents up you know, two or three times, we haven't been able to pass on all of those costs. Rents have increased a lot, but everything's gone up by a significant amount because of inflation. We haven't seen rents increase at a much, much faster rate than inflation. Rents tend to be based on what tenants are willing to pay and have the capacity to pay as opposed to what our costs are. What's number three on the list? Number three are the LVR restrictions. So back in 2014, these got introduced, then they got taken away again after around COVID time when we had lockdowns and then reintroduced in 2021. And again, you know, this had a pretty big impact on anyone looking to expand their portfolio, whether it be leverage against their own house to buy an existing property or leverage against their house and existing rentals and not having enough deposit to be able to do what they wanted. So I think that had a pretty big impact. And obviously we're going through potential changes in the future of maybe those easing again. And I expect that we'll probably see those change a wee bit as well as we see the debt-to-income ratios perhaps be phased in. We're up to the final two. Now, it'll be interesting for everybody at home thinking, okay, we've gone through six pretty hefty regulations, actually. It's quite confronting where you sit here and look at this list of eight different regulations that have come in in just the last five years. Now, number two, we've got the triple CFA, the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act, or specifically the update that was made and brought into effect in November 2021. Now, what this did is it shocked the market because banks all of a sudden became so much more cautious. They were looking at every single transaction that we're making. They would take our statements, feed them through some computer software to read those statements and then put them in different categories. And straight away, we saw a large difference. And the really strange thing is, the people it really impacted, and I remember writing the numbers on this, were people with good credit scores. Because when it comes to getting your mortgage approved, if you had a really bad credit score, your mortgage wasn't getting approved anyway. So it was the people who had higher credit scores that really saw the chance of getting their mortgage approved decline back at that time. Now, some of that has eased a bit. But that's one of the principal reasons why we've seen property prices in some areas of the country, like in Lower Hutt, fall by 28%. It's not only were property prices above kind of their midterm fundamentals, but also we saw a big pullback in mortgage lending. Now, some of that is starting to dissipate now, but we're not going to get back fully to those golden days where it was much easier to get a loan approved. And the final one's an interesting one. It's interest deductibility. And I say interesting because it came into place, interest, <laughs> see what I did there? Came into place in 2021. Terrible year, by the way, for investors, 2021, wasn't it? There were so many changes. <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't drink more that year. But with interest deductibility, for most investors, that effect is being phased out. Now, we're halfway through that phase out period now. 
And I'm really starting to notice investors understand what it means now and get concerned about it. So in the first year, it was I had only a, a 25% effect. This financial year that's just been, that we just ticked over, it goes to 50%. And all of a sudden that tax bill, it's noticeable. And I'm getting way more inquiry from people around concerns around this. And again, we're only halfway through. So it's going to get worse next year, worse the following year. And for people who are going out there buying existing properties as a rental property, again, I don't think that they've had the full effects explained to them. Really interesting to me how many investors I speak to who go and buy an existing property haven't even spoken to an accountant, don't even know about the rules. Well, the thing is, if you're buying an existing property today, you don't get to claim back any of the interest costs unless you meet one of the exemptions straight away. So you will be taxed as if your investment property is much more profitable than it actually is because you will be taxed as if you don't have a mortgage despite that you still have a mortgage to pay. And that is the punishing thing. Not only are you paying a mortgage at 6.5% or 6%, but on top of that, you've also got a five or six grand tax bill that you've got to pay despite the fact that you're not making any money. And that is the really difficult thing. Now, do you know what? That one of the things is, and really interesting things about the webinar last night, is just how much the economics between do you buy a new build or do you buy an existing property have skewed. Because if you look, at most of that list from LVR rules, DTIs, interest deductibility, bright line test, all of those regulations have incentives for people to buy new builds rather than investing in existing properties. And that doesn't mean that existing properties never make sense. It just means that you've got to be significantly smarter and be using those cash flow hacking steps, renovating properties so that it can make sense. And just to follow up for that case study Sunday I did a wee while ago, so we had that meeting with the accountant and the mortgage broker and the, the investors just the other day, and the accountant is very big on social housing, so he advised with some of the properties, hey, let's get social housing tenants in here so that you get the deductibility. So we'll release that full webinar later on today. This is a wee taste tester for it, and in that webinar we go a lot more into, well, how do you succeed with these rules in place? How do you work within the rules? If you missed it, you are going to be able to see the video replay as well. You'll be able to find that at opuspartners.co.nz. If you look in the property live section, which is, of course, what our webinar series is called, you'll be able to watch that. listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Tim McKnight. I'm Andrew Nicholl. We're going to be back here tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the selling property market. Until next time.